All right, so we are about halfway through our series on common problems that people have in relationships. And like I said, tonight we're talking about communication. And we're going to be talking about communication in light of what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Because communication in relationships is a pretty important topic, in my opinion, because everyone struggles with communication at one point or another. And struggles in communications are when relationships really start to break down. So like we've been doing with the other common problems, we're going to pull our understanding of good and bad communication from the Bible. And similar to previous weeks, this study is going to be a little different than what we normally do because the Bible doesn't really have a place where it talks about how spouses should communicate with one another. It doesn't have a place where it discusses fighting or arguing or dealing with disagreements in a marriage or other relationships. So we're just going to get a general understanding of communication from Scripture, and then we're going to discuss how it relates to relationships. Tonight's going to be incredibly practical, um, so buckle up. There's a lot of cool stuff to find here. Uh, but normally when we think of communication, communication, what do we think of? Talking. We think about talking. We think of saying things to another person. That's certainly an important aspect of communication. We see that in Ephesians 4.29, which says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So communication certainly has to do with talking, because Paul says in that verse to make sure that what you're saying is edifying to others rather than corrupting. And the result of that is the people who hear what we say are better off because of what we said. But we can't limit our understanding of communication to just the words that we say with our mouth. Another Bible word that relates to communication is the word conversation. And you see that throughout Scripture. And again, when we think of conversation, we normally think of talking. But in the Bible, the word conversation means a little bit more than that. For example, James 3.13 says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So a good conversation also includes your works and showing things with them. It includes things you do in addition to the things you say. So understanding that, I've put this definition of communication on your sheet, at least for this context. Communication is the act of delivering information from one person to another. So when we're talking about your communication, we're talking about what you are saying to other people through your words and your actions. We've all heard the idea that actions speak louder than words, and in many cases that's very true. So whether it's the words you're saying or the actions you're doing, you're, you're communicating something. And that's what we have to recognize. And so tonight we're going to make sure we understand what we should be communicating so we can start to make sure that that's what we're actually doing. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I, hear, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So our conversation should be becoming of the gospel. It should be appropriate for the gospel, and, and that can mean a few different things. First, we obviously need to consider that we're commu what we're communicating to lost people. Um, our job is to get them the gospel, and we should be communicating that to them. But we also need to consider, oh, we should also consider in light of what, what God has done in our lives through the gospel, because God has saved us from being bound to our sin, Man, yet we frequently live as though that st sin still has power over us. And so, in short, we freq we're frequently hypocrites, and the way we live our lives doesn't communicate the changed life that Jesus has given us. 
So in an effort for us to live out what the Bible asks of us, well, we just need to do our best to make sure that our communication is founded on Jesus, especially our communication in our relationships. And we'll, we'll talk about why that's so important. Um, but hopefully it's clear by now in this study that we have to base what we do on Jesus and our relationship with him. We talked about that a lot last week. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And the direct doctrinal context of what that verse is talking about is building God's spiritual kingdom. But the practical takeaway for us is that Jesus and our relationship with him ought to be our foundation for everything that we do in this life. Because if we're trying to do anything without him and his word as our foundation, well, we're quite literally off base. We talked at length last week about the success of our relationship stemming from our investment in our relationship with the Lord. Well, communication is no different. So let's dig in and discuss our communication. Um, and first, we'll look at uh, point number one, communication responsibilities. And this is an important place to start because we have to understand, as Christians, we have some responsibilities in what we communicate in our relationships. And so we obviously have a responsibility to communicate the gospel. Um, that's not what we're getting at. We're talking about in the context of your romantic relationships and stuff like that. Uh, we talked at length about responsibilities uh, the first week with the roles and responsibilities of husbands and wives. And so we're not going to rehash that entire discussion tonight. Um, so if you missed it, go back and listen to it. Uh, all our messages are online in case you didn't know that. Um, you can go back and listen to any of that if you're interested. But it's important because understanding our God-given roles and responsibilities in marriage is key to understanding what we should be communicating in marriage. Uh, we'll just look at Ephesians 5.33, which says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So there you have marriage roles as simply put in the Bible. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, reverence, respect, or honor your husbands. There's obviously a bit more to it than that, which is why we spent an entire evening talking about those roles and the, the biblical pictures that they fulfill. Husbands loving their wives, picture Jesus' love for the church. Wives submitting to their husbands, picture the church's submission to Christ. So those are the biblical roles for husbands and wives, but what does that mean for a married couple in terms of communication? And that's what we're talking about tonight. Well, this really isn't that complicated. Um, I'm going to say some things that you're going to be like, well, duh, exactly. But unless we specifically talk about those things, we might miss them. And so in your notes, you have the responsibilities for what you need to communicate in a marriage relationship. And again, this is so simple, it borders on silly. Wives, it's your responsibility to communicate respect to your husband. Um, I'm sorry, I... I skipped one. Husbands, it's your responsibility to communicate love to your wife. It's a husband's biblical role to love his wife. Well, then it's his biblical responsibility to communicate that love to his wife. And you communicate that through words and actions. I told you this was simple. Similarly, wives, it's your responsibility to communicate respect to your husbands. So the same kind of deal. Respect is your biblical responsibility, so communicate that through what you say and what you do. You see the difference? Understanding your biblical roles in marriage is one thing, but examining your communication, what, you, what your life is saying, in light of those roles, is another thing. So we have to pay attention to what our words and our actions are saying and make sure that they're saying what they're biblically supposed to be saying. But then there's a third responsibility to keep in mind on your sheet that's together 
collectively. It's your responsibility to communicate biblical pictures to the world through your relationship. And that's why it's so important that we understand the biblical pictures God wants our relationship to provide. Because as Christ's representatives in this world, it should be our goal to fulfill those pictures as clearly as we possibly can. Because God uses those pictures to communicate a little bit about who he is to the world. And if we're not doing our job of fulfilling those pictures, then we're actually hindering his ability to communicate that through us. And so in general, when we're talking about our responsibility to communicate, we're talking about honestly understanding and living out what the Bible expects of us so that our words and our actions demonstrate what God wants them to demonstrate. And this is especially important in a marriage type of relationship because most dudes would say they love their wives. But when you compare what they say with what they do, well, now you get some conflicting communication sometimes. The same is true of ladies. You say you submit to your husband, but, what if, but if what you do doesn't demonstrate that submission, then it's going to seem a, a little bit like you don't actually submit to him even though you say it. So what you're communicating gets confused. So in a marriage, it's critical to understand your biblical roles, but it's also critical to live your life in a way that communicates your adherence to that role to your spouse and to the world around you. That's all I'm really trying to say with this first point. Not communicating the right things in your marriage can cause all kinds of problems. Um, and so one example of that, let's look at this next section called The Crazy Cycle. And this is from a book uh, called Love and Respect by Emerson Egricks. And so this isn't something you find in the Bible. Um, if you have charts and maps in your Bible, you're not going to find this chart in your Bible. Um, but the idea is based on biblical principles about how human beings act in our flesh. The idea is pretty simple, and you can see it in the diagram. The one on the left specifically is the crazy cycle. This is, this is how you see marriage relationships working in the world over and over again. When a wife doesn't feel love, she tends to react without respect toward her husband. And when a husband doesn't feel respected, he tends to react without love toward his wife. And so you see, what, you see what's going on? When one doesn't feel what they're supposed to be feeling, they, they withdraw uh, their action that's supposed to make the other feel what they're supposed to feel. And so it's a cycle, and you end up, you end up circling the drain because as, as the husband feels less and less respected, he's going to offer less and less love and vice versa. This type of cycle is dangerous because each time you go around the loop, the overall love and respect in the relationship decreases. Um, this is why I lean so hard on the idea that we need to work hard to fulfill our biblical roles, even if your spouse is not. Because with, without at least one spouse trying to fulfill their biblical responsibility, man, this cycle represents what, what will nine times out of ten end up happening. Um, and it'll never land in a good place. On the other hand, if, for example, a wife communicates respect to her husband even when she, she doesn't feel love, well, then he's more likely to react with love. And that's kind of that middle one. That's the type of cycle um, that will be more likely to energize and motivate one another to react the way we should react. So if the husband feels respected, well, then he'll act with love, and then the wife will feel love, so she'll act with respect. And in that way, you're, it's a cycle that's on its way up, which is better, but the goal is to get to the third cycle, the one where the, both the husband and the wife act with love and respect, regardless of what the other person does, because then you're not basing your actions on your feelings. You're basing your actions on what the Bible instructs you to do. And that results in a rewarding relationship that God can use for his glory when both people are doing that.
and it certainly results in a relationship that God can use to demonstrate his pictures to the world. Um, but hey, I get it. This all sounds good in theory, but how do you actually live this out? Well, let's get into how this works practically. And this is probably as good a time as any to remind you that, in general, I have no idea what's going on in your marriage or in your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend. So if I happen to say something that hits a little close to home for you, um, just be careful because I don't actually know what's going on in your life, and so you don't want to give that away by, by reacting to something I say. That's not my intention. Um, I intentionally left this part of your, of your notes blank uh, under practically, so you can just write down whatever specifics you want to see from your relationship. And so I'll start with, with wives. Um, and, you know, again, we're talking about married couples because marriage is the goal. That's what you should be working towards in a dating relationship. And we'll talk specifically about dating at the end. But, man, ladies in general, just you want to pay attention to, to this kind of stuff and, and guys, too, who aren't married because this is what you're trying to work towards. Uh, ladies in general, try your best to communicate that you respect your husband more than anything else, both verbally and non-verbally. Don't intentionally expose his weaknesses to others. If you expose them to him, do it in a loving way, uh, respectfully, that aims to be constructive and edifying. Don't compare your husband to another man, either positively or negatively. Even if it's a positive comparison, you're potentially limiting his understanding of your respect by relating it to another person. I mean, if, if Trisha's like, man, Corey, you work so much harder than so-and-so, you're doing great. Well, what if so-and-so starts working really hard and then I'd, I'd stay the same? Well, that, that paints a weird picture for me that, that, well, now she doesn't think I work hard because this is who she was comparing it to and, and now he works really hard. Man, a husband should feel like there's no competition for, for his wife's respect and admiration because there really shouldn't be any. So be careful with comparisons. Um, the Bible's clear that you know, we shouldn't compare ourselves with ourselves and, and you want to be careful what you communicate uh, in a comparative manner. Uh, these are just practical things. These are just my thoughts on this, really. So like, don't take this as a comprehensive list. Uh, you want to get a little weird? Don't use sex as a reward for good behavior or withhold sex as punishment for bad behavior. We'll talk more about sexual intimacy next week. Um, but man, 1 Corinthians 7 is clear that when you're married, the husband and wife's bodies belong to each other. So man, sex shouldn't be something your husband feels like he has to earn from you. And making him feel that way is more likely to make him feel humiliated than respected. And I'm not bringing this up to tell you how often you should have sex in your marriage. That's none of my business. I don't pretend to be any kind of authority on that. This just has to do with how the two of you view sexual intimacy. Do you want it to be viewed as a prize or something to be earned? Or do you want it to be viewed as a special time that you can be together? Because there's a big difference. And husbands, some, some general thoughts on, on what you communicate in your marriage for you. In general, try your best to communicate that you love your wife more than anything else with your words and with your actions. Don't forget to remind her how much you rely on her and what she does for you. Remember, you can communicate a lot through what you don't say, too. So make sure you say what needs to be said. Man, how many times do we say, this should go without saying, but, and then we say something that never goes without saying. Say what needs to be said. 
Like I said with the ladies, don't compare your wife to another woman, either physically or otherwise. Man, she should know there's no competition for your love, and she should know that you don't have eyes for anyone else. And I got weird with them, so I'll get weird with you. Don't just get friendly with your wife when you want sexual gratification. Your wife should know you want to be with her and spend time with her without expecting something in return. And you shouldn't communicate that you expect her to pay for your affection with physical intimacy. That's not, that's not loving. That's not communicating the right thing. And some really practical advice for both husbands and wives. Man, learn how, how your spouse receives affection and then communicate that affection in the way that they most receive it. Um, there's a book called, called The Five Love Languages. It's a book by Gary Chapman that discusses five major ways that people communicate love one toward another. Um, words of affirmation, which is just saying nice things. Quality time, giving gifts, acts of service, physical touch. Those are all ways that people can receive love, and different people respond differently to those different ways of communicating love. Now, the five love languages is not the Bible, so it's by no means an authority on truth, but there's some wisdom to be gained there. There's some, there's some insight into, into your own life and into your spouse's life that, that can really benefit you, and it's probably worth your time to at least look up the principles mentioned in the book if you're not going to read it. The point is to know your husband and know your wife. We talked a couple weeks ago about the husband's responsibility to know his wife. Well, as you pursue knowing them, you'll learn how they best receive love and affection. And in learning that, you can adjust your words and actions so that you can more effectively communicate your love, your affection, your respect to them. Those are just some examples. I just threw a bunch of stuff at the wall and saw what stuck. Um, but each of us need to learn to pay attention to what we're communicating to our husband, to our wife, to our boyfriend, to our girlfriend. Pay attention to what you're communicating. Pay attention to what you're doing and what you're saying in light of the other person, um, because that's really what makes a relationship work. And just make adjustments to make sure that what our words and our actions are saying to them are what we're biblically tasked with saying. And again, the whole point is to communicate with your life what you know God wants you to communicate in your relationship. This requires you to understand your biblical roles and responsibilities, and it requires you to live in a way that fulfills those roles and responsibilities in your communication with your spouse. But that's not the only type of communication we need to talk about in relationships, so let's move on to point number two, communicating expectations. And this is also important because in relationships, we always expect things of one another. That's part of two people existing. We expect things of one another. And this is more of a discussion on specific expectations rather than like God's expectations that we talked about in the first week. Stuff like, who's going to take the trash out? What time are you going to be home? How many hours are you working today? How are you going to spend our money? How much time are you going to spend together? Stuff like that. Uh, stuff that's just, you got to work out in your own relationship. There's no there's no book you can go that says these, this is how you and your wife can have a successful life. Man, these are just expectations that we have of one another. So keep in mind, the first thing here is that the number one cause of conflict in a relationship is unmet expectations. We have to understand that in relationships, especially in marriages, unmet expectations cause conflict. Sometimes this is because one person doesn't meet the expectations of the other person, and sometimes it's because one person has an unrealistic expectation of the other, or expectations go uncommunicated. So on your sheet, I listed reasons we fail to meet other 
each other's expectations. Um, and, and this section is really just a general talk about any relationship you could have with another person. This isn't even just marriage. This isn't just romantic stuff. Like you could have this type of discussion with, with parents and children and any, any number of relationships. Reasons we fail to meet each other's expectations. Letter A, we don't know the expectations. Um, it's really hard to meet expectations that you're unaware of. I can expect you to pick up my dry cleaning, but if I never talk to you about picking up my dry cleaning, how could you know that's my expectation? I would have needed to communicate that expectation to you. Letter B, there are unrealistic expectations. Um, it's really hard to meet expectations that aren't fair, reasonable, or possible. I can expect you to enter the building on Tuesday nights walking on your hand, and I can even tell you that I want you to walk on one hand as you enter the building, but there's really no reason for me to have that expectation of you. You'd probably look at me sideways if I asked you to do that. And if you can't walk on one hand, well, that's not even possible for you to fulfill that expectation. Um, so that's an unrealistic expectation, and that's an unrealistic example of an unrealistic expectation. <laughs> Letter C, we're selfish and choose not to meet the expectations. And this one's clear. Sometimes we're just lazy and don't want to fulfill expectations that we know we should. So in a relationship, man, keep these failures regarding expectations in mind because making sure you communicate expectations can go a long way in avoiding conflict. Um, I wrote it this way in your notes. It's important to communicate goals and expectations, no matter how small, to each other up front. Think about it. When you communicate your expectations of one another on the front end, before those expectations go unmet, well, you accomplish a few things. First, you make sure the other person is aware of your expectations. Second, there's opportunity for you to discuss those expectations if there's any disagreement about them. Because disagreement is going to happen. You're never going to find... I'm going I'm to slow down and say this because this is important. You're never going to find a husband and wife that are in agreement all the time. You might think you're going to be the exception, but you're wrong. <laughs> Sorry. The trick is to find the disagreement before the expectations are unmet so you can minimize the conflict. You can deal with disagreement immediately if you make sure to clearly communicate your expectations up front. Habakkuk 2.2 says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. And we, we talk about this verse a lot in the context of leadership and, and ministry. It's an incredibly important verse for leaders to take to heart. But the same principle applies in your relationships as well. If you take the time to clearly communicate goals and expectations and work out any disagreements as soon as possible, well, then you can both run together with those expectations. And expectations aren't just a thing for the husband to communicate to his wife, by the way. So don't... don't get that misconception. This is a two-way street. Wives have expectations of husbands just like husbands have expectations of wives. So this isn't just a, hey wife, do whatever your husband says thing. So wives, be open and honest with your husband. Let him know when you disagree as long as you're doing it in a loving and respectful way. And husbands, when your wife voices her concern or disagreement, well, Stop what you're doing. Listen to her and value what she says and adjust it as necessary. Chances are she sees things differently than you, and chances are she sees something that you don't necessarily see. One of the scariest things Trisha has ever said to me is, if you think that's a good idea, go ahead. <laughs> that is 
a scary thing to hear. <laughs> that let me know that she didn't think it was a good idea. But it also let me know that she would be submissive even when I made a decision that she thought was a bad one. It made me realize that any consequences of that decision would, would be on me. But she doesn't say that all the time. That's not her magic phrase that she says to get me to change my mind. It's just something she said once or twice that really got my attention. And I don't know, you might not have even known how, how, how that got my attention. Um, but the ultimate point here is communicate your expectations. Communicate your goals. Work through disagreements about those things. But also recognize that those disagreements aren't always easy to work through. Sometimes they result in conflict. And so we need to talk about communicating through conflicts. Because every relationship has conflict. That's to be expected, because every human alive today has a sin nature that they have to contend with, and that sin nature rears its ugly head when we have conflict with one another. And again, you may think your relationship is the exception, but if you do, chances are your relationship is like a week old. Um, so get ready. Every relationship has stress. Your families will cause stress with the expectations they put on you. Often those are conflicting expectations, especially around the holidays. Your finances will cause stress. Frequently when you're just starting out, you'll have more things you want to spend money on than you have actual money to spend. Um, and you'll disagree on what to spend it on. And as your incomes increase, you'll, you'll have to Continue to, you'll find that you continue to disagree on where your money goes, so how do you deal with that kind of stuff? Uh, physical intimacy, or, or lack thereof, is another common source of stress in a relationship. What to do, how often to do it, you're not always going to agree on those questions. This becomes especially true uh, when you've been, been physically intimate with others before you got married, because that means you're carrying expectations of physical intimacy that are based on your experiences with other people rather than being based on your spouse. Uh, we'll talk more about that next week. These are just some examples of where stress comes from in a relationship. I'm, I'm sure there's more, but those are three of the biggest ones. Um, so we need to realize ahead of time that your relationship is going to cause pain from time to time because of these conflicts. Um, so let's look at a couple biblical principles on dealing with conflict and the pain it causes. First, offer forgiveness when you're hurt. Sometimes this involves letting the other know that they hurt you. Your spouse isn't always going to recognize they did something to hurt you, and normally when that happens, it's a husband, uh, because we don't pay attention to what we do. That doesn't make it okay that they did it, but they're not going to know until you tell them. If you don't tell them and you just hang on to the pain, man, you're going to end up with bitterness in your heart. Hebrews 12:15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You don't want that. You don't want that root of bitterness. That's how small but hurtful problems end up destroying marriages as they snowball out of control. So instead of holding on to the pain and holding a grudge, man, let them know they hurt you. But do it in a way that offers forgiveness. And I'm not talking about them getting home from work and you saying, look, I forgive you for what you did to me. Like, don't get on your high horse about it. Like, offer genuine, true forgiveness. Um, Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So be ready to forgive one another. And, and again, Jesus is the example of forgiveness here. 
He laid down his life for us while we were yet sinners so he could forgive us. Uh, Colossians 3.13 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So Jesus forgave us. And because of that, he, he expects that we owe that forgiveness to other people. There's no room in a relationship for holding grudges and bitterness and being bitter. Um, the sooner you learn to forgive, the sooner conflict stops seeming like it's the end of the world. But understand forgiveness biblically. Look it up. Study it. Uh, because real forgiveness is not forgetting everything that's happened. It's not pretending that something didn't happen, and it's not an automatic cure for the pain that's been caused. But it is setting the person who hurt you free from the debt of the offense. It's letting go of your resentment. You're, you're, you're seeking and desiring vengeance. It's letting go of that, and it's letting go of bitterness. It's the first step in rebuilding trust, um, and that's and that's what you want. If you want to be building a relationship with the Lord, well, when pain happens, it gets broken down a little bit. And forgiveness is the first step of, of starting to rebuild that. Forgiving someone doesn't mean you wholly trust them again. It's turning your pain over to the Lord to deal with, and it's no longer looking for a way to make them pay for what they've done. And on the topic of forgiveness, the next principle is seek forgiveness when you cause hurt. And this should go without saying, but... Like I said at the beginning, everyone who says this should go without saying ends up saying the thing. Learn to apologize when you screw up and be specific with your apologies. Arrogance and pride are going to drive you to avoid apologizing, but man, you need to humble yourself and seek forgiveness when you're wrong. Uh, we, could, we could talk more on this point, but I think it's pretty clear. Like, I'll just end up repeating myself a lot if we keep talking here. So we recognize that conflict is going to happen. We understand forgiveness, but not every conflict in a relationship is going to, it's not going to be clear to both people who is right and who is wrong. So it's not like, hey, we had a conflict. I'm sorry. Okay, you're forgiven. Like, it doesn't always work like that. And when that's the case, when, when, when it's not always clear, well, that's when fighting happens. Um, so let's talk about fighting with, with how to fight. And like so many other things in this series, this isn't a discussion the Bible has in, in one place where we can look up how to fight properly in a marriage. It's not like you open to some letter that Paul wrote that says, husbands and wives, here is how you fight. Approach it this, like, it's, the Bible doesn't enumerate this in detail. So instead, we're just going to look at biblical principles as they apply to what we communicate when we fight in our relationships. That said, you should avoid fighting when possible. Proverbs 21.9 says it's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. Um, every wedding I go to where someone has their guest book being a Bible and a highlighter and says highlight, <laughs> highlight your verse, I, I go for that one. Um, and if it's already been highlighted, then I just go to Proverbs 25.24 because it says the same thing word for word. Um, it's, God wanted us to hear this twice. He put it word for word in Proverbs twice. Avoid fighting when possible, but we'd be kidding ourselves if we thought this was possible 100% of the time. So here's what I consider to be biblical advice on how to fight. And in case you're curious, I just pulled this kind of information together from, from some of the different uh, marriage counseling type of uh, materials that, 
that some of the some of the pastors use. And letter A, pray before you confront. Um, man, so often prayer is the answer. Because when you pray, first of all, you give yourself time to breathe and think rather than just react in anger. And second, you make sure you involve God in the discussion and allow Him to change your heart. And that can work itself out in a couple of different ways. Praying before you confront your spouse about something can help you make sure the confrontation and and likely fight is going to be worth it. Proverbs 19.11 says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. So ask God, is this something worth fighting about? Am I actually mad or hurt about something, or is this just something I've seen people get mad about on TV or in movies? Because if it's not worth fighting about, why open your relationship to the potential pain that's going to be caused in your fight? If it doesn't really matter, you're better off to let it go. Also, praying before you confront your spouse can help you make sure you have the right motivation in confronting them. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, which ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So oftentimes, having the right motivation before you start fighting can help keep things healthy and eventually constructive. If you're, if you're just mad and wanting them to pay for something they did, well, that's not a healthy place to start from. Make sure your goal is to get things cleared up so you can move forward together stronger than you were before. Um, make sure that's your motivation before approaching this kind of stuff. So pray before a fight. Pray during a fight. I'm, I'm not saying like, while your spouse is talking to you, hold on. That's just going to make it worse, I promise. But man, talk to God. That'll help make sure that God keeps a hold of your heart so things don't get out of control emotionally. Because really, that's the last thing you want. Um, letter B, try to understand first and then try to be understood. We see this principle throughout Scripture. For example, James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. This doesn't mean that you aren't allowed to say anything. It just means you're paying attention to what they say and responding appropriately. Proverbs 18.13 says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. So don't assume that you know what your spouse thinks, feels, or means. Give them time to explain. If you're not sure what they mean, ask them to clarify. Resolving any fight means the two of you have to reach common ground. And, and this is much easier when you're willing to understand one another. Too often we're not actually, actually listening when the other person is talking. We're just busy thinking of what, what the next thing we're going to say is without actually hearing or processing what they're saying. So don't let that be true of you. Letter C, speak the truth in love. And this comes right from Ephesians 4:15, which says, "But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him, may grow up into him in all things, which, which is the head, even Christ." And so during a fight, speaking the truth in love means you're going to consider your words and you're going to choose them very carefully, because you don't want to say something that's untrue, and you don't want to say something that's intentionally hurtful. Saying untrue or unnecessarily hurtful things will only help to prolong the fight and increase the pain, and that shouldn't be your motivation, um, which is why you should clear that up with prayer at the beginning. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. 
And again, that should be your goal, even in a fight. Edification, ministering grace, that should be your goal in your relationship. So practically, um, just some things to think about. Be very careful with absolute statements. They're rarely true. You always do this. You never do that. Those statements are normally exaggerated and they only serve to cause pain. I won't say that you're never allowed to use absolute statements because that would be an absolute statement. <laughs> you just better make darn sure before you make a statement like that um, because, because you don't want to say things that are untrue. You could also try expressing feelings using I instead of you, meaning instead of saying you don't care about me, you could say I feel like you don't care about me when you do this. The I feel statement is true while you don't know if the you statement is true or false. Explain how you feel without making accusations whenever possible. Proverbs 15.1 says a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And when you seek to speak the truth in love, this is what you're trying to do. You figure out how to phrase things as softly as possible while still getting the point across. Because your goal shouldn't be to stir up anger. Your goal should be understanding and reconciliation. And look, I get it. This stuff is hard in the moment. But that's why letter A is so important, to approach this in prayer. Take time, breathe, pray, turn it over to the Lord. Approach heated discussions like this as calmly as you can. It's not always easy and you'll spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how to get better at that. But the better you can do these things, the less pain your inevitable disagreements and fight are going to cause. And on that note, point four can help you get help communicating. Never forget that you're, you're not alone in figuring out this whole relationship or marriage thing. Man, God's given you a church body that you can lean on. Titus 2 makes that clear. Titus 2, 3 through 5 says, The aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands and to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their, homes, to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So when you're struggling, ladies, in knowing how to love your husband or to live out your biblical responsibilities or in how you communicate, with him, and talk to a lady who's more experienced than you. Get some help. That's what, that's what the church is here to do. Guys, same thing. In the same chapter in Titus 2, verse 2 says that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patience. Jump down to verse 6. It says, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. So if you're struggling to live out your biblical roles and responsibilities, man, get help. Go to a more experienced guy and talk to him about it. But here's the deal. Those more experienced believers in your church, they're there to help you, but they don't know you need help until you seek them out. So, so do that. Don't be content in failing to fulfill the biblical pictures in your responsibilities. Don't be content in coming up short in your biblical roles in your relationship. Get help. You have a whole list of people you can talk to. You can talk to me. You can talk to Trisha. You can talk to Zach and Rachel. Nick and Sarah are getting married this week, but they still have biblical advice that they can give you. Steve and Tina, De Bruno and Chrissy, Debbie, any of your pastors and their wives, the person who discipled you, that's not an exhaustive list. You've got a church full of people who can help you. You just have to humble yourself and seek help. You just have to make sure the person you're going to for help has a decent relationship from which they, they can give biblical advice. You don't want to get biblical advice from somebody with a marriage that's a wreck. Um, just something to keep in mind. 
And I'm not even talking about going, going through counseling sessions either. Hopefully, you look for help way before you ever require counseling and mediation and stuff like that. That's sort of an extreme point, and you want to get help before you end up in that position. And like in previous weeks, man, I've spent most of the time talking about husbands and wives, again, because that's the goal we're all working towards, and we should view dating as our preparation for marriage. So let's end tonight by talking about point number five, preparing for communication. How should I view communication in a dating relationship? Well, much of what we talked about tonight is directly applicable to to dating relationships. You want to communicate expectations. You want to learn to communicate through conflicts. You want to start practicing communicating love and respect in your relationship. And a great way to do that is to, first of all, make sure you're open, honest, and understanding. Too often, people in dating relationships just like to play games. Uh, They do stuff just to see what kind of reaction they can get out out of the other person. Um, A lot of times it's just so they can try to figure out how you think. Instead of just trusting them until they have a reason not to, they try to figure out if they can trust them by manipulating situations, perceptions, and reactions. And don't do that. That's borderline evil. Um, Don't play games. Don't be passive-aggressive. Just try communicating. Try not to make assumptions. Just ask questions and talk. If they do something that looks weird to you, Don't jump to conclusions. Ask them about it so that they can explain it to you. Give them the benefit of the doubt until they actually do something that loses your trust. Um, And avoid needless jealousy, like like the plague. Yeah, call them out if they're flirting with someone else, but man, never assume that they're acting in bad faith unless you have evidence. Trust them until they give you a reason not to. Um, And the way you keep and build trust is by communicating, talking to one another, getting to know each other, being open, honest, and understanding. Next, seek to love slash respect your significant other without demanding that they love and respect you. Um, I've talked about this before. If you're wanting to be married someday, you should also want to make sure you're ready to fulfill the roles and responsibilities that go along with that. Yes, you have to rely on God and your relationship with him to prepare you for that, but as he's preparing you, you should also be working on communicating that love and respect. And if you're just dating, you really don't have any biblical right to demand that of the other person, uh, that they completely fulfill their biblical responsibilities of a husband or wife because they're not your husband or wife. I've said this before, be careful not to treat a dating relationship like it's a marriage. The opportunities in dating to communicate love and respect, uh, you want to see those in a dating relationship uh, regardless of, of what the other person is communicating. Because that's what a husband or wife should do. We talked about that. A husband or wife should communicate love and respect to each other uh, even when the other person isn't. We'll see opportunities in a dating relationship to do that. The difference in dating is that you haven't made a commitment like you have in marriage. So if you're unhappy with what the other person is communicating, well, you have options. You can let them know, which is an option for any type of relationship, or you can break up with them, which I guess is an option in marriage, but not with a clear conscience. Um, so if you're unhappy with what they're communicating, in a dating relationship, you have probably more options than any other type of relationship. But that said, while you're dating, you should also seek to reconcile through conflicts, but understand that neither person is bound to the relationship. Um, And this is pretty simple. Even dating couples fight, and all the principles we talked about tonight regarding conflict can apply here. So work on those things. Just recognize that you're not trapped in a dating relationship, so if you don't have any peace or reconciliation, you can end it. 
Finally, set clear guidelines with each other regarding physical intimacy so you don't fall into temptation. So this goes along with communicating goals uh, and expectations of one another. We'll talk more about this kind of stuff next week, but uh, if you're primarily looking out for your relationship uh, with the Lord, like we talked about last week, you're going to want to avoid sin in your dating relationships. And, and that doesn't just happen. It's not like you decide up front, yep, we're never going to sin, and then it's never something you have to think about until your next relationship. Um, it requires the two of you communicate your expectations on physical intimacy and, and the lack thereof. And it requires you to communicate guidelines to avoid temptation. The trick is, your guidelines just, they, they can't just be, all right, let's not sin. Uh, let's agree that we're not going to sin and, and work towards that. Um, guideline, you have to, because at that point you'll be so close to sinning. If, 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 if the line you draw is, is between sin and not sin, well, then you get so close to sinning that it becomes nearly impossible to escape temptation. So you set those guidelines together to prevent you from coming close to sinning and then hold each other accountable for those guidelines. It's like rumble strips on the road. If they put rumble strips off the road, well, the rumble strips wouldn't tell you when you're going to go off the road. They'd tell you when you, when you got off the road. They put the rumble strips, you know, a foot. How, how far away are rumble strips from the edge of the road? You're an engineer. Um, <laughs> they're, they're supposed to be like a foot, a foot from the edge of the road so that, so that when your car hits them, you get this little like, oh, I'm getting close to the edge of the road. I should, I should make an adjustment so that I don't end up off the road. Um, think of it like rumble strips. Um, they're just closer to the edge of the road. Uh, when, you, when you hit rumble strips, you're just closer to the edge of the road than you should be. So set up those rumble strips in your relationship. I can't tell you what those should be uh, for your relationships because then I, that would be legalistic because the Bible doesn't really lay that out. Um, so you need to, before the Lord with your significant other, work that out so that you can have a clear conscience when you spend time together, um, so that you're, you don't approach temptation, so that you don't uh, put yourselves in situations where you're going to be tempted to sin. Uh, you want to set those up ahead of time, and you want to communicate those and hold each other accountable to those. Um, and another good tip is to have somebody else outside the relationship hold you accountable to those as well. Uh, and again, communicating those guidelines between you two and, and, and other people. Man, that stuff's critical. And so we'll wrap up here. Uh, regardless of what type of relationship you're in, if any, man, communication is important to think about. What are your words and actions saying to other people? Because that's a level of self-awareness that many people never reach, but man, that's a sign of maturity. Consider what you're saying and doing and how those things affect the people around you. That's the main thing to understand about communication because you want your life to have a positive impact on the people around you. You want to be edifying to them, especially the people you're closest with. But man, if you never take time to think about what you're saying or doing and how it affects your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, you're going to end up causing problems. That's human nature. It's because we have sin to deal with. But man, if you're saved, you've been given a, that new nature that can build up and edify others if you allow it to. If you let the Holy Spirit guide and direct your life through through the Bible, instead of your, your feelings and your emotions guiding and directing your life through conflicts, man, God's going to use you to be an edifying force in the people around you. So let's consider that tonight. What do you need to do to make sure your words and actions are edifying to the people you're closest with? And let's just, communi or let's just commit to doing that 
Let's commit to communicating what we're supposed to communicate and, and building each other up the way we're supposed to build each other up. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, um, man, for your word and how you just, you gave us everything we need to live by in, in this book. Um, and Lord, I thank you that it's always there and I thank you that you've uh, put it in each of our hands that we could just go home and read it and, and get your expectations of our life. And Lord, I pray that as we talk about communication, we'd, we'd start to see, um, man, how our, how our words and our actions affect the people around us and, and adjust them so that we're communicating through our lives what we need to be communicating. We love you, Lord, and we just want to live lives that are glorifying to you um, and, and positively affect the people around us so that uh, we can all just be better ministers together for you. Uh, we love you, Lord, in your name we pray. Amen.